In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On the first Sunday in Lent, we always read about what is called the temptation of Christ. That is indeed what happened after our Lord's baptism and before his public ministry. Yet this temptation in the wilderness was part of something bigger. It occurred as Jesus was fully coming to grips with who he was and what he was called to be. St. Luke emphasizes this when, between his account of Christ's baptism and today's narrative of him being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he, Luke, inserts the Lord's genealogy, the line of his descent from Adam, that man of dust, all the way through his earthly father, Joseph, who was, of course, a descendant of David. We, along with Jesus, are dealing with identity and destiny in this section of the gospel. In the process of being tempted by Satan, Jesus learned, with the help of prayer and Holy Scripture, what he was not called to be. He was not called to be some sort of superhero who transcended the limitations of earthly existence to gain wealth and power and fame. Instead, he learned, he was called to be a messianic servant who would usher in God's kingdom, God's rule in the world. As he proclaimed to the synagogue in Nazareth after he emerged from the wilderness, he was called to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Through the Holy Spirit, he had learned that he was called not to exalt himself, but to lift up others. Amazingly and wonderfully, the one born of a human mother through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's own Son, embraced servanthood and what we might call creatureliness, despite his divine origin and nature. His glory lies in his humility in the service of God and God's kingdom. We have a lot to learn from that, of course. Most of us mightily resist embracing our creatureliness and accepting our limitations and our dependence on God. We would much rather be exalted in a worldly way than follow the way of the cross, the path of loving service to God and others in imitation of Christ. Like our ancestors Adam and Eve, we often want to pursue what we regard as a lofty destiny, rather than simply trusting in God's provision and direction for our lives. Lent is a good time to come down to earth, to be grounded, as Diana Butler Bass, this week's speaker, entitled her recent book, Grounded. We are reluctant to accept Ash Wednesday's reality that we are dust. And yet Ms. Bass reminds us that science proves this, 
not to mention the second story, second creation story in Genesis, in which God forms the first humans from the dust. According to the prevailing scientific theory of the universe's origins, matter came into being suddenly in one mass and then burst forth, as Ms. Bass puts it, forming and reforming itself into gases, worlds, and living beings. She then quotes the reflections of the theologian Elizabeth Johnson, who wrote, Out of the Big Bang, the stars. Out of the stardust, the earth. Out of the matter of the earth, life. Out of the life and death of single-celled creatures, an advancing tide. Trilobites, fish, amphibians, insects, flowers, birds, reptiles, and mammals among whom emerged human beings, mammals with brains so complex that we experience self-conscious intelligence and freedom. According to this scientific theory, everything is connected with everything else. British scientist Arthur Peacock explains, every atom of iron in our blood would not be there had it not been produced in some galactic explosion billions of years ago and eventually condensed to form the iron of the crust of the earth from which we have emerged. Quite literally, human beings are made of stardust. At first glance, this may seem very humbling. We are part of something so much larger than ourselves. We are much more closely akin to our dogs and cats and even to snakes and mosquitoes than we would like to admit. And yet, when we see clearly our place in the universe, a limited but very important place according to the Bible, a great burden is lifted off our shoulders. This is not our show to run. We don't have to waste our precious time and energy chasing fanatically after wealth or power or fame. We are not the Lord of the universe. Christ is. And even he does not conform to worldly standards of success. The destiny appropriate to us for which we are called to aim is the destiny he exemplified, the destiny of glory in the eternal love of God and in the service of spreading the dominion of that love over all the earth. Jesus was right when he said that in humbling ourselves, we will be exalted. And what a wonderful exaltation that is. Following in his footsteps the way of the cross, accepting our limitations and even the suffering that goes along with following Jesus, this is paradoxically liberating. It is a way of finally being who we are and who we were always meant to be. Lent encourages us to think and pray about our way of life, following our Lord's example. Are we living in a way that reflects who we really are and who we are called to be, or are we deluded by the devil into following vain paths that ultimately break us down rather than building us up? In their day-to-day -day Lenten series called Growing a Rule of Life, 
the Society of St. John the Evangelist, a community of Anglican, Episcopalian uh, monks in Cambridge, Massachusetts, recommend that we adopt a rule or plan of life. Of course, they have one, but they think all Christians should have a rule or plan of life, not to restrict us particularly, but as a way of flourishing more than ever as human beings and as Christians. The monks suggest that each of us see his or her life as akin to a garden. What particular circumstances and practices, they ask, will best foster the growth and flourishing of the garden of our lives? We might at first think it best to let its plants grow wild without help or restriction. But good gardening teaches that the best growth comes, in fact, when the right plants are chosen and carefully nurtured. These plants, these aspects of our lives, may need not just the basic nutrients, water, and sunlight, which are gifts from beyond, but also some pruning. And some areas of our gardens may need to be cut away. That can be a relief. <laughs> some plants may need guidance to grow in the right direction. A rule or plan of life can ensure that what is needed is provided. It's like a trellis, for example, that directs growth in the most productive, fruitful ways. And, of course, the most satisfying ways. Disciplines and regular practices such as prayer, including prayerful biblical reading and other reading, fasting, self-denial of different kinds, uh, giving to others, traditionally known as almsgiving. These disciplines are helpful not only in Lent, but throughout the year in nurturing the gardens of our lives and directing our growth to best advantage for our own flourishing and for that of God's kingdom. We enter upon the tending of our garden, gratefully aware that we're not the main gardener, God is. Ultimately, it is God who will teach us what needs to be planted, what needs pruning, what needs fertilizing, what needs more direction. Only in this way, making our lives God's garden, can we become grounded. Only in this way can we become who we really are and who we are meant to be. Henry David Thoreau, the 19th century New England philosopher, famously wrote of his own encounter with nature and with God when he went to live on the shore of Walden Pond. He said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the, the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Lent, like Easter, is about life and growth, not mortification and death. We follow this pilgrim way of Lent, hopefully, knowing that greater things are in store for us than we can desire or pray for. Thanks be to God 
whose love and direction we know in Jesus by means of the Holy Spirit. Amen.